we need godly, committed, loving men to step into that role and to take on that responsibility and to be willing to do it. And we need their wives to be behind them, standing with them, serving with them in that role. We go, we go to those passages, if you go to 1 Timothy 3, it mentions the wives there. That is not an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, by the way, they're wives. I'm convinced that the, the effectiveness of a man who is in a role of leadership is influenced directly by his wife either supporting him or not supporting him in that work. And so that's a huge issue as well. There's a lot of reasons why it seems to me that there are in situations that I've seen where there's men, younger men, who are very capable of stepping into that role. In some situations, they've been asked to step into the role of being elders and they don't wanna do it. Um, and I think there's maybe a lot of reasons for that, a lot of hesitation. And, and I just wanna say this, if there's a younger brother who's listening to this, uh, you're someone who maybe potentially could step into that role. Maybe you've never been asked. Maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you have thought about it. Can I just encourage you to have a heart that's open if the Lord would give you that opportunity to step into that role of being an elder or an overseer. And I want to encourage you to be willing to be open, to pray, commit that to the Lord. Is this something, Lord, that you want me to do? And the day may come that the elders in this local church might ask you to take on that responsibility, I want to encourage you to step up, to step up. Um, we need men, younger men, inevitably they're going to be younger men, they're going to step in to fill the shoes of those that are older to be willing to take on that responsibility. First Timothy 3.1 says this, and this is in the ESV, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's a good thing. It's an important job. It's critical. And so I just want to put that out as an encouragement to those that are younger, potentially might be elders, to take on that role. It is so important. Okay, let's get into shepherding then. So verses 2 to 4, let me read it again. He says, shepherd the flock of God. So here's the exhortation to the elders, those that are elders. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. The word shepherd there, pormano, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, literally means to tend or to feed or to care. I think the old King James uses the word feed here, feed the flock, caring for them. The word pastor poimen, interesting that that word uh, comes up and is only translated pastor once in the New Testament, but, but it, it literally means a shepherd. So we think about someone that's a pastor, shepherd, it's exactly the same thing. So, so let me just put this question out and then I'm gonna answer it. What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? This is not difficult. Um, I was at a Bible camp, I was at Graphite Bible camp, teaching nine to 12 year olds, and I was telling a story about Jesus being the good shepherd. And I still remember clearly saying to them, uh, what, is, what does a shepherd do? And I had, a, I had a whiteboard, and we started writing down the things that shepherds did. 
And then I went from that into my lesson about Jesus being the good shepherd. And this is what the nine to 12 year olds came up with. And they nailed it. Feeding. Now I, I changed the words a little bit. Feeding, leading, and protecting. Those three things. That is not, you, you just think about a shepherd with sheep out in the field. And what are they going to do? And you put yourself in the context of, not that any of us have done that, but you put yourself in the context of those that would be shepherds in that part of the world at that time. That's what they would do. They would feed the sheep. They would lead them where they want them to go, and they would protect them. And all of that, all of that to me, I'm sure, was more uh, effective and, and more uh, relevant or had more impact, if you will, when they knew the sheep. You must know the sheep if you're going to be an effective shepherd. John 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I don't know any of my sheep, but for some reason they follow me anyway. But that's not what the verse says, does it? He, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. And what does that speak of? It speaks of relationship, right? That we, that we have a, a Savior who is a good shepherd, knows us and we know him and there is a relationship there and there is a relationship of trust as we go forward in our lives as we follow him and so let's touch on those three things i'm just kind of racing against the clock here feeding clearly would be part of feeding and probably the primary part of feeding is the teaching of god's word now that doesn't mean that the elders would do all the teaching of god's word they may do some maybe they will do all but they are making sure that the that the sheep are fed well. And we wanna make sure that the word of God is taught, that it is taught clearly, that it is taught properly, and that it is brought in a way that the, the, the flock needs to hear. What do they need to hear? What are the needs of the flock? And this is where knowing the sheep comes into effect. So they, if I could put it this way, thinking of shepherds, they know where the food is, and they know what is needed to nourish and strengthen the flock. So that is the feeding element. I think, I think alongside of that feeding, it's primarily the teaching of God's word, but in that would be encouraging believers, caring for them. I think there's a lot packaged into that idea of feeding. Then there's a the leading part. Obviously, we think of overseer, we think of a shepherd watching over their flock. That maybe goes more to the protecting, but there's an element of leading, right? Leading a flock. That, that could have to do with the corporate direction of the local church. Peter says to the elders who are among you, I exhort who am a fellow elder and a witness of, uh, sorry, he says, no, in verse two, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. In other words, those that you've been put in charge of to shepherd, to watch over, lead them, guide them. And so that goes to the corporate leading of the local church. But then I think there's also the need for the individual leadership, times where there are individuals who need counsel, who need support, who needs someone to come alongside. Maybe it's couples or families, or maybe it's a group of people in that local church that needs some direction. So it's leading from the, the big perspective, sort of the whole body as the flock sort of goes forward, if you could picture that, but it also has to do with maybe individuals who are wandering this way or straying that way, and we have to pull them in, or maybe they just need to be encouraged because they're struggling along. It's a beautiful picture, again, of a relationship of trust. The sheep follow because they know they can trust you. There's a caring relationship there that has been established. This is so, so important. 
When, when you look at people that are, are pastors in, in evangelical churches, uh, spiritual leaders in whatever ministry it might be, the people that are most effective in this are people who care about people, care about individuals, and build relationships with those people. And that's where they are become effective as leaders because there's a relationship of trust there. Then there's protecting, protecting from the danger of predators. If you think of the sheep and the shepherd, and again, if we go to John 10, we see Jesus talking about that. These predators, so to speak, are metaphors for false doctrine, false teachers, evil, immoral influences that can come in to a local church, division and divisive people that can affect the body of Christ. So elders, overseers have the responsibility to watch over the flock and to protect it from those kind of influences that can come in. Motivations to serve as a shepherd. They're listed here in uh, starting in verse two, going down, well, really right through from, from two to four. So I've got three negatives and three positive, three negative <laughs> motivators, if we, or could be potential motivators, things that shouldn't motivate you to be a, a shepherd. Uh, or, or an overseer and an elder, and then three positives. So, so the first one, just take them in order as they are, not under compulsion, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. And, and the thought here is not because I have to do it. Like, you literally have to do it. Now, I don't know what kind of a situation this would be uh, in, a, in a local church where it's like they just kind of grab a hold of you and say, you're being an elder whether you like it or not tough you're stuck with the job but but the idea here is that that there's a willingness on the part of the person the shepherding to do this they are not feeling forced or compelled to do it the sense of duty right because there are times and having been someone that's been in that role in the past um, there are times that you kind of don't want to do it right and you'd rather not do it and it would be easier not to be involved but, but duty and commitment to the role calls us sometimes, compels us, kind of grabs us by the scruff of the neck and says, this is something that you ought to do, and you need to step up. You're in this role. You need to do it. But the idea of being constantly under that, that grudgingly, right? I think some of the translations put the word grudgingly, not grudgingly in there. Um, there's something wrong in the spirit with someone that's serving in that role that is constantly just not wanting to do this, not wanting to do this. So here's one of the things this is a motive, it's warning is a motive not, you, you should not be doing this under compulsion. Secondly, not for dishonest gain in verse two, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And the idea there that there's just a willingness to do this and, and you're moving ahead to do this. And it's not just about money. Now, um, <laughs> some of the elders here today say money, what about money? Where's that coming from? It's interesting that this is even in here, and the implication of the fact that that's even in there would suggest that there were situations where there were those that were overseers that perhaps were being supported financially for what they were doing. But the principle wasn't that that was necessarily a right or wrong thing. There would be, I know, I know some assemblies where there are elders that are being supported financially to a degree so they can give more time to that ministry. I'm not saying that that should be done or it shouldn't be done. I'm just saying that that is sometimes the practice. But the issue here is, was this. You're not doing it just for that reason. If, if, if money was tied to it in some way, greed is not the motive to be serving in that role. So if there was some financial remuneration involved, 
that was not the motivating issue for them. That was not to be that. Then the other negative is this, nor is being lords over, and we find that in verse three, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you. And so clearly this one speaks about control and power and domination. And that never happens in assemblies, does it? Ever. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it and it's, 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 it's awful when you see an, an elder, an overseer who dominates and domineers over the assembly. It's ugly and it's just so contrary to the heart of a good shepherd. It, it's so anti-Christ in, in, my, in my estimation, someone that wants the control and the power and, 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 they are, you know, and they start to tell people in the congregation, this is the way, you know, and, and this is where it can lead to. So it's not to be that, it's not about power. So, so it's not something that you should just be forced to do and you don't have a choice and you're just, you hate it, but you're, you know, you're just enduring it. You shouldn't be doing it for money out of greed. You should not be doing this to, for power and control. So what are the positives? The positives, again, in verse three, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, here's the first positive, but being examples to the flock. So the first thing is to lead by example, to be sincere, if I could use this word just to be real, as a shepherd, as someone who's leading the people of God. I think nothing is respected more than someone who is genuine and sincere, and they're, and they're putting on a front. They're not trying to be someone that they're not. They love the Lord, they, they love the Lord's people, and they're just humbly trying to lead the people of God. And they are living their lives in a way that they are examples to others in the local church. That's a humbling thing, isn't it? That's humbling. Like, like literally people in a local church should be able to point to one of the elders and say, and their wives, ladies, and say, you see the way they live their life? You live your life the way they live their life. Now, I don't know, as, as a leader, that's humbling, isn't it? And, and it makes you want to examine your own life and your own heart. But primarily, this leadership is, begins with example and you walking out in reality and sincerity your love for Christ, your service for him. And so that's such an important thing. Then keep, I gotta keep going. Another positive, when the chief shepherd appears, then he talks about the crown of glory. So here's the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So positive motivation to be an elder and overseer in a local church is for the Lord. That, that ultimately, this is what all of our service, whether we're elders, overseers, whatever our Whatever it is that God has called you to do, gifted you to do, and put you in a place to do, we do it for him, right? What That ought to be the motivation above everything else, to do it for the Lord, because I love him, because he's called me to this task, he's put me in this place, and I want to serve him, and I want to honor him. And so the chief shepherd is brought right into the equation here, the focus on Christ, the positive of serving him. There's a bit of a hook in that though too, right? Because there's accountability in this, right? That those that are overseers, that are under shepherds, if you will, will give an account before the Lord of how they have conducted themselves as shepherds in the local church. They will answer to the chief shepherd for that. That's a sobering thing. And, and it's something that those of us who are not in leadership roles ought to really be praying for those that are in leadership roles because this is something that is, is they're gonna to have to account for someday. And then finally, we've got the reward element as the sixth thing in my list here. And this is the third positive in here, we'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There is an eternal reward 
for those who serve in this area. This is not an easy job. It is in some ways perhaps one of the most difficult tasks in, in any uh, ministry, local church, in the body of Christ. I don't know that there's a more difficult role than being an overseer in a local church. I've been in that situation um, and, and I know what it, what's involved in it, and, 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 but the Lord knows too. There's a day coming when he's going to give a reward. Now that doesn't mean that there's not times that we are encouraged here and sometimes it can be really discouraging to be in the leadership role, but there are times that we are encouraged and we're blessed and the Lord gives us those little encouragements to keep going. But ultimately what we're, we're doing it for him, but even as we do it for him, there's a day coming when there's going to be a reward for that. So that's the shepherding. Now I wanna talk and I've got just a few minutes left to deal with verse five. The sheeping, okay? But the shepherding, now we got the sheeping. You say, I've never heard of the word sheeping before, neither have I, I just made it up. So here's a new word, sheeping. If, if you're a sheep, this is for you, all right? So likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves. Literally means fall into rank under, is the thought of being under submission, and obedience clearly comes into play in that all of that is packed into that idea of submitting ourselves to those that are our elders, our overseers. Now, I'm going to just say this, and I, you know, I, submission to me is a hated word in our culture. It is hated. And if we're honest, you know, I think most of us, there's some point in us where if we get pushed, and even as followers of Christ, we struggle with this word. And, and you know, we, we can go so far to be submissive, submissive, submissive. But then for all of us, I think there's a point where we might, might hit where we might say, no, I'm not, I'm not being submissive anymore. And I think that just comes out of the human nature that tends to be selfish, that is proud, that wants to push back at times against authority. But this is a word that is hated in our culture. And, and even sometimes in our local churches, we struggle with this, right? And I think submission then, because, it, because it's seen, I think in our culture, is just seen as such a negative thing. And the idea of being under someone, that's terrible, you know, that's demeaning, and that means you're above and I'm below, and we think this is so wrong, and, and we're so democratic, and we're so, you know, we, we're just so against that, everyone is equal. This has nothing to do with equality. It has to do with order. God has established an order in all of this universe, and, and whether it's the physical universe, whether it is the universe of people and relationships, God has established an order. And, and God's order, when it is handled properly, is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful, and it is according to his design. There is an order, literally, in, in, in the being of God. There's a Father, and a Son, and a Spirit, and, and, and there is an order in that. There is literally a hierarchy of submission, and, and we see that clearly when we read the Gospels of the Lord Jesus being submissive to the Father and the Father's will. Does that mean that the Father you know, had his thumb on him and despised him and couldn't stand him? No, he loved his Son. And it's in that element of love and submission working hand in hand, mutually together, that you have this beautiful order that you see in the Godhead and a perfect harmony in that. That spirit then, that idea of this mutual harmony, there's submission, but there's love and there's respect, and it goes back and forth to each other. 
ideally in the church, that is what we are aiming for. So that we have people that are in leadership roles that we ought to be submissive to. But these are not, as we read here, and we could go to other, those other passages that de deal with elders that are shepherds. This is not them, you know, controlling and being, you know, demeaning and, and demanding. And that is not, that is not godly at all. S same as in a marriage where you have a husband and a wife and there's an order there and submission and there's headship and all of that. That, that when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, that whole issue of submission really doesn't, isn't that big of a deal when the mutual love and respect is happening in that relationship. And so that's the dynamic, ideally, that ought to be happening in a local church. Now, we are not perfect, right? And so sometimes it doesn't work perfectly. It doesn't work perfectly in our marriages sometimes. It doesn't work perfectly in our families with our children sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't work perfectly in our churches either. But it doesn't mean that this whole thing's just got to be thrown out the window, you know. Just forget about the submission thing. We all get an equal vote and we're going to kick you out if we don't like you. That, that, that is so contrary to God's order. So it is important when we think about this idea of submission and respect and the order there, important to understand this is not allowing for abuse, right? We understand that. Does it happen? Yes, sometimes it does, sadly. And it, it is a huge issue when it happens in a local church and it can happen. But when you have men who are leading in a respectable way, in a loving way, you have a respectable order that God has established that is true in a healthy marriage, it is true in a healthy family, it is true in a healthy church. Just, I'm almost done. Those of you that like to complain, okay? And this is now me defending the elders here. Um, and they didn't ask me to do this, okay? I promise you, Brian didn't call me or Tim didn't call me to say, say this, no, none of that, nothing. So this is just out of my own heart. Can I say, if, if you're someone that's negative, complaining about the leadership in your local church, I want you to consider three things. Number one, and I'm not talking about, they make decisions and you get frustrated with the decisions they make for whatever reason. So number one, you do not have the whole church to consider, they do. We, we tend to be focused on ourselves, where they're saying this, and I don't like that, I don't like this. They're weighing out everyone in that local church. That is not an easy thing to do. And so they are making decisions based on the whole of the body. Keep that in mind before you complain. Secondly, you do not know the details behind that decision. You don't know. It's crazy over the years, people that have come to me and said, well, you know, they said this and, the, and this, the elders decided this. And I think that's so wrong. And then this person and what they did to this person. And, and, and I have said to people in those situations, you don't know the details. You don't know all the background. You don't know everything, all the ins and outs of what happened in that person's life and that person's life and why they made this decision. And so we come sometimes from a place of ignorance thinking we know, I mean, we don't know at all, but those men that are elders making that decision, they know way more of the background of the situation than we do. So keep that in mind again, before you complain. And thirdly, you may not have carefully thought this thing through that you're complaining about. And maybe if you took the time and maybe over time, and I have been in this situation sometimes where I've been the guy being the sheep, and I'm not happy, where I've, as time has gone on, I've thought about it, I've thought, you know what? Yeah, my initial reaction was not good there. And I was really out of line. And as time goes on and I think this thing through, 
I realize there's a wisdom behind it. So that's just as an encouragement for you to support your leadership, support the elders here. It is not an easy thing. Pray for them. Express your appreciation to them. And then he says this, I love this. So you younger people, and, and again, this, you know, it's not just the young, it's I'm gonna broaden that out to those. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, and I love this. He says, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So it's like it's like Peter now says, I want to take this broader than just this order of you know submission and authority and sheep and shepherds. All of you should be submissive to each other. What is that saying? Mutually respect each other and put others ahead of yourself. Don't just be thinking about yourself. Think about others. Put the needs of others ahead of yourself. In other words, kill your pride. Just step on your pride and your selfishness and put others ahead of yourself. Be submissive to another. Be clothed with humility. Word humility there means a lowly opinion of oneself. And it's, it's, this is, it's not self-hate here. It, it's just understanding that I'm not the most important person. In fact, I'm going to put the needs of others ahead of myself. I'm going to put them before myself, be clothed with humility. And then this warning out of Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You continue in pride. You continue to undermine. You continue to come against the, the leadership of a local church and, 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 and I think even against individuals in the body of Christ with a proud, arrogant, selfish attitude, somewhere along the line, God's gonna deal with you. God's gonna correct you. I have seen that happen. I could name examples of people where I have seen a rebellious spirit and one way or another, the Lord has dealt with it. Don't be that person. Father, we just thank you for those that are elders and leaders in our assembly, and we pray for them. We pray for people that are in leadership, whether it's in uh, ministries within the church, ministries outside of the church, it is not an easy thing. And we're living in a day where the decisions are so hard to make, navigating things that uh, years ago weren't even on the plate. And so Father, help us, Lord, to be submissive, help us to be supportive. I pray for those that are elders, Lord, help them to take the shepherding to heart, uh, to be exhorted to uh, know the flock, to love the flock, to lead them, to feed them, to protect them. And so I ask for your blessing on your word in Jesus' name. Amen.